So I've got a, a, a Peanuts-themed tie-on that Jamie Lawson gave me. He is a, a collector extraordinary of, extraordinary of everything Peanuts. You go to his house, there's stuff everywhere, antique stuff, probably worth a fortune if you find the right person. And he gave me this tie one time, and then I ran across a great cartoon. So we're going to, Oakley, you do this to me every week. What's the deal, girl? We spent time at camp, and we had this straightened out. Now, what's going on here? These girls just don't like me. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to see one. I, there's one particular strip of, of, of this cartoon uh, that I want you to read with me. Here's Lucy, who's got look of consternation and confusion and, and tension in her face. And Linus is behind. Linus is kind of the theologian in this cartoon, right? Uh, all the time. Boy, she says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? She's really concerned about it. Second screen. It'll never do that, he says. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. He corrects her. Third screen. You've taken a great load off my mind, she says. And he says, sound theology has a way of doing that. Sound theology has a way of taking a load off your mind. And do you know, that was God's design all along. He has provided us, our Creator has provided us truth in Scripture not to fight each other constantly over how we interpret it. It's there to provide us help in time of need to navigate life because life's going to throw us physical, spiritual, emotional challenges and God the Creator knows this and He provided us sound doctrine to give us a load off our mind or take a load off my mind. This is how he says it in the Psalms, Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. I'm walking through this world uncertain. I don't know. I haven't experienced everything. I don't know the right thing. And here's God's word. It's a lamp and it lets me know the next step I should take even though I don't know myself. That is what Scripture is supposed to be. That's what theology is. And when you read the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament are letters to churches. Churches were having problems, and Paul needs to address them, and he takes the gospel, and he addresses their problems that are actually happening in those churches. In the church at Ephesus, the Jews and the Gentiles weren't getting along, and they didn't know how to work out their differences. And here comes Paul with the gospel in a letter, and he applies it to that circumstance to help them overcome it. Corinth, they're all trying to be outsmart one another and be on groups of people and division, and they're even suing each other. And Paul preaches Jesus again and, and applies it to their circumstance and says, here's how you fix this problem with the gospel. It's a particular issue. It's not just random theology. It's a particular issue because God's truth really does take a load off your mind. That's kind of what God has in mind for it. That's what it's there for. This passage is very practical. Most often I read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 at a graveside or at a funeral service. It's a great thing, but this 
today, for this morning, it's not about a funeral. It's not even about necessarily the content. It's what Paul does with it. I want you to notice the first line in this. I want you to join me. Verse 13. We're going to look at the first half of the sentence. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, or as, as it was read a moment ago, we don't want you to be ignorant. We want you to have information that's correct. You need truth. Now, so often the world is saying, oh, truth is not practical, it's not relevant to me, it's cold, it's distant. Doctrine is some kind of intellectual thing that doesn't touch my life. And Paul says, oh, now just wait a minute. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be in the dark. Now, I want you to hear what Paul's saying on this next screen. I just want you to see what he's saying. Go ahead. There are things you absolutely need to know. It's a knowledge thing. It's a fact thing. And if you don't know them, it will hurt you. Things you don't know can hurt you. Is that true? It is true. These people right now that he's writing to are so overwhelmed with emotional turmoil. And Paul says it's totally unnecessary if you just knew the truth. All you have to do is know the truth. Hit that next one. And the cure for some things is sheer information. Not knowing causes great consternation. That's really strange, isn't it? The cure for some things is simply the truth being known. We as the church need to be people who know the truth. But it's not just about head knowledge. We're not just trying to win a Bible quiz or Bible trivia game. We're not just trying to memorize verses to say that we won them and got a t-shirt at the end of the week. That's not all we're doing. These facts matter. Now let's finish the rest of the sentence he's saying. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means dead. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. This is not an intellectual pain. There are some in Thessalonica, for whatever reason, they thought that their loved ones who had faith and who died were somehow going to miss out on some part of the truth. And it broke their hearts to think that they're not going to receive some of the things that we receive. They were ill-informed. Something happened. They didn't get the full story. And you know what? It mattered. Suddenly they were grieving like those who don't have hope. Have you ever seen anyone grieve who doesn't have hope? It shatters your life. It overwhelms your heart. It crushes you. And Paul's sitting there thinking, I'm hearing about you guys who are grieving hopelessly, and it's shattering your life, and it shouldn't. And it breaks my heart to think that you don't know simple truth of the gospel that would alleviate that. There are emotional pains that are caused by not knowing the right thing. Their great emotional pain is caused by an information deficiency. Y'all, that cold doctrine that a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, that doctrine would have mattered on that graveside that day. That information they needed to know, it would have been a balm for their soul, but they didn't know it, and so they're sitting there grieving, and they have this deep inner turmoil that is completely unnecessary. It's not, they don't need to. Something they should know would alleviate that emotional pain of those circumstances. Because the truth is, sound doctrine takes a load off your mind and your heart. So the theory apparently goes like this. In Thessalonica, there was believers in the church who died, 
and they all thought somehow they're going to miss out on some aspect of the faith, and they were totally grieving and upset because their loved ones are going to miss it. But Paul says you don't need to do that. You don't need to feel that way. You don't need to live with that kind of emotional pain because the, the doctrine that we believe, the information that we know from God would alleviate that entire emotional strain. Tell me our doctrine doesn't make any difference to our lives. Paul says it does. The fact that you don't know this caused you to feel that depth of heart emotion that you didn't need to feel if you would just know it. Our doctrine here, what we learn in Bible class, all that matters. And so what he does is he provides the gospel. And we often think we know what the gospel is in a simple two or three phrases. But that's not what Paul says. Notice he says, uh, as, he, as he reviews this, next verse he begins to ramp them up on the gospel. I want you to follow along with me as we begin verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died, do you believe Jesus died? well you're messed up your heart's going to be broken church my goodness he says if you believe jesus died we just gathered around the table and we were just told it's the most important thing in your life do you believe jesus died church well yeah it makes everything different now here's the problem if you don't believe that you should grieve like those who don't have hope Right? People who don't know that, they do grieve like they don't have hope. But he says, if you believe Jesus died, and if you believe he rose again, do you believe that too, church? Yeah, you believe he rose again. Okay, but we sometimes stop right there. That, those two events happened thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, and they're history, and they're the basis of our baptism, and a lot of people will confess that and be baptized, and then that's kind of the end of the whole story, right? But he goes on to tell us that's not the, that's not the whole story. Keep reading. Even so, so he says the story's not over there in verse 14. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. The gospel is also that Jesus is going to come back and get us. Do you believe that too? Because you know what? If you believe he rose and he died, but he ain't coming back, you were hopeless too. That's useless too. This is part of the gospel. And when Paul preached the gospel, he preached this, that he is going to come back. He talks about Felix and Festus in Acts chapter 25, 24, 25, 26, and he tells them that, that the, it's about self-control and the judgment to come and the resurrection of believers. That's part of the gospel too. But that's not all. Keep reading. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, this is how it's going to go. Here's your itinerary of the last day. You ready? Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus is coming to raise the dead. Now right now, Jesus' resurrection is a really unique novel thing. He's the only one who's ever experienced it. But by the end of the last day, it's going to be nothing special. Because every single one of us will experience that resurrection too. He's just the first one in the middle of history to guarantee that our day is coming. And so he says God's going to raise his people from the dead. Is that part of the gospel too? Yes, it's part of the gospel too. 
Now you have to decide on this itinerary. How many of you, let's take a poll, how many of you vote that you die before Jesus comes back? Some of you want to die before Jesus comes back? Okay. How many of you would prefer to just be alive when Jesus comes back? That's, that's kind of what I thought. That's kind of what I, I really think, I really think the advantage would be to be alive. Now here's what he says. When he comes back, those who are dead in Christ, they're going to rise up first. And those who are li- alive in Christ are going to watch it happen. You're going to be here watching it happen. You're going to be sitting here waiting for your turn. You know how you wait in line at Disney World to go for the ride? You know, you got to wait and watch everybody else go and you watch everybody run. You are going to wait in line. And you are going to see the dead in Christ come out of the grave, come out of the sea, come out of wherever they are. And they're going to be changed and they're going to be transformed and they're going to go and meet the Lord there. And you're going to watch it. You are going to witness it. Now, if you're the dead in Christ, all you're going to see. I guess, is come up out of the grave and you go up, you won't see the alive in Christ. So it seems to me the alive in Christ are going to be the ones who see the most. Just my argument. It doesn't really matter. But they're going to go meet the Lord in the air, and then something's going to happen to us. If we're the ones who are alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to feel ourselves kind of going like a, a miraculous elevator up into the sky. And while we go, according to 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies change. Something happens. I don't know how that transformation happens, but it happens. The blink of an eye, like 1 Corinthians 15, and we will be equipped for life in eternity. We're going to have a body, but it's not going to be flesh and blood like this one, and that's going to change. I don't know what that's going to feel like, but that's going to be pretty amazing. Now, the last thing he says is, go ahead and hit the next one. We're going to be together. That's an important word. We are going to be together with the Lord forever this is God's end game this is what he's longed for since day one us being together with the Lord forever this is where the gospel is taking us and equipping us and if you've experienced the gospel and you've been baptized into Christ and embodied the gospel in your own response this is what's what we're waiting for and this is the culmination of every plan of God since the beginning and we're going to be together together with each other with the Lord forever I don't know there's so many things that I'd like to know about this where where do we go in between I don't know, but we are with the Lord still in some amazing way because we are never away from the Lord ever. He is always with us and we are always with him. But we are going to all experience this together. No one's going to go in before anybody else and we're going to all experience this thing together. That's our doctrine. That's what we believe. This is our gospel. And so Paul says that should take a load off your mind. So I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about it. But a lot of you might be saying, well, yeah, but tomorrow I'm going to start, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go and do my day, and I'm not going to think anything about this. This is cold, this is just indifferent doctrine. This is like, I need to know this intellectually, but it doesn't matter all that much in my day. Oh, really? Oh, really? I would bet you it does. That's really important information, and Paul says that right there will cause you to never grieve like those who don't have hope. That will protect your heart. That will protect you from falling for false things. Let me tell you how it protects you. Number one, 
When your heart is broken at the loss of a loved one. Ask Risa about this. You don't even have to stop with her. Go around and ask other people, does it matter? Does this doctrine matter to me when I've lost somebody? Now, you might say, well, yeah, at the funeral it matters, but, you know, all that pain goes away, and it never really matters when things are going well. Oh, really? Oh, really? Why don't you ask the Whitleys five years later, does it still matter? Let's talk about it. Does the pain ever go away? Does it, does it ever just, oh, no big deal. This absence, this big, huge person in my life has been removed and is no longer present. And after a few weeks, this doesn't matter anymore. That's baloney. There are people that every day think of this as a balm for their hearts. It doesn't go away in a week or a month or a year or 10 years. It doesn't go away, but this balm is always there and you better know it because if you don't know this, and it doesn't travel from here down to here, you will have a busted up broken heart that is unfixable. What about those? You're living in a world that's beating you up for your faith, and you know what would be really easy? I'm thinking about teenagers now. Okay, Maybe they've not lost a loved one, so for them this doctrine doesn't matter. Well, let's think about this for a minute. All around them are people trying to get them to compromise on their faith. Oh, you know, all that faith stuff. Just don't worry about it. Just come get along with the world. Be acceptable. Be popular. Be well-liked in this world. And if you have to compromise your faith for it, it's no big deal. God wants you to be happy, and he wants you to be, oh, you know, part of the in crowd here. What if being part of the in crowd means that you have to step out of being from in the Lord? What happens if in order to be accepted here, you have to step out from being in the Lord in your behavior? I'm going to tell you what this passage means. There is nothing more important in your life than being right with the Lord all the time. Nothing. And if you have to sacrifice popularity in order to be right with God, I'm going to tell you, it's a trade worth making and sustaining all your life. Because the most important thing at the end of time and the most important thing in the midst of time is that you're right with God. That you are in there with the Lord and you're faithful so that whatever happens, God's got you. Let me give you a verse. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What does it gain to profit... What is a profit to gain the whole world? And then, what's the rest of it? Lose his own soul. In the morning when you wake up, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you've got to remind yourself of this doctrine because it's going to tell you there's nothing in this world worth exchanging that right relationship with God for. When you receive a diagnosis that could mean the end of this life, yes, it is sobering, it is scary, it's overwhelming, but it cannot, for the believer, make them lose, significant, lose sight of the significance of life and future. Paul puts it this way, that outer man is breaking down day by day. Anybody experiencing any more of this this week? I was at camp all week, and I know exactly how old I am. I know how old I am. Old, the outside man is just, just, just fading away. But you know what the inner man's doing? Being renewed day by day by day, getting closer to home. One of them's getting further away from home, and the other one's getting closer to home. And these verses remind you of that. 
So much of our life is lived in the shadow of the fear of death. The psalmist says that the entire world is held captive to the fear of death because Satan's got us there, but Jesus, by virtue of the gospel, overwhelmed that. We are liberated from that, and we need to act like it. So in 1918, a lot of Christians, when everybody was running to the countryside to evade the, the new flu epidemic that was going on, oh, you might get the disease, you might die, oh no, and they all run out. And then there are Christians who open up their church building to treat others who have the flu, and you're like, but, but you might get it, you might die. And you know what they said? So what? So what? When we live in the fear of death all the time, we're not really living. And we're certainly not living our faith because these verses tell us this life is not the most important thing. And I wish we could act like it. These verses, if you'll let these truths, this information go from here down to here, it's going to change your life. But as it is, these Thessalonian believers, are, these, these people are watching these Thessalonian believers who just fall apart when they have a believer die and they're just going crazy and the world's going, what's wrong with you? You're acting just like the world. That's right, and we don't need to. We don't need to act just like that. They need to see something different in us. Something that says my, what I know to be true actually affects how I live. Now take a look at those things and tell me that tomorrow they don't have a practical bearing on how you live tomorrow. You've got to keep this in your head. At church camp, here's the, the, the worst part of it, and I know it is, and I get it, and I have to argue for it every time, but at the end of Bible class time, we talked about, we talked about changing our minds, right? We've got to let God transform our minds about different things, sexuality, about you, and about what is success and all that. And at the end of every class, they had to sit alone with a couple of questions and ponder it. And here's what that illustrates to me. This is what I'm trying to stress to them. It's one thing to know this stuff in a Bible class and to hear it, to hear it taught. It's another thing to actually grapple in your brain with what it means for you. And this is called meditation in Scripture, where I really sit with this and grapple with this. We don't do this in Churches of Christ. We want to get together and hear the Word and go, Amen, and we leave, and it's never a part of our life anymore. There's got to be a way for us to play with this in our heads until it reaches this, the journey between here and here is so huge. How do we do that? And I know they don't like it because no kid likes to sit still for seven minutes. Seven minutes is an eternity. I asked Andy about that and he said, what do you mean kids? Our adults don't like doing that either. When, when does it start being easy to sit and ponder what it means for your actual life? And the answer is it never does. But we got to start our kids somewhere. We got to start somewhere. Because Paul says, I know I taught you this. I know I told you this, but there, something obstructed it from getting here to here, and the world is seeing you live and believe like everybody else when you should actually act a whole lot different. Let the journey take place. I put it in your head. You need some information, but you need to let it sink into where it becomes part of your life and your feelings. And there's one last thing, and we're going to be quitting. The last verse of this passage, we left it out on purpose. Therefore... Encourage one another with these words. These words matter. 
wonderful words of life the ancient words long preserved for our walk in this world are in your hands but they don't need to be in your hands they need to be in your head and they don't need to stay in your head they need to make the journey to the heart and then after they make a journey to the heart they need to come out your mouth and you need to share them with each other and with people who don't know them these truths matter what we say and what we believe and our doctrine that are written in scripture they matter we must know them we must feel them we must live them and we must share them that's what Paul is saying because it does no good if it stays between the covers of your Bible sitting on your coffee table. It can change your heart. It can change your experience. It can even reach the depth of the feelings of your heart, your emotions. But you got to know them and you got to let them sink in and then you share them. So Paul says, I don't want you uninformed. I want you to know. I want you to know what you believe. I don't want you grieving like those who don't have un- I want it affecting your emotions and your heart. And I do want you to share them. I do want you to share them with each other and remind each other because every once in a while in our lives, we just get distracted and we need to remind each other. And so as we close out, here's the thing I would say to you. We need to know the truth we need to feel the truth and live it and we need to share the truth it really has taken a load off our minds and hearts hasn't it and we live in a world that needs to experience the same thing that shame and separation they feel because of their sin and they don't even know what the problem is they need to know what we know that fear and uncertainty about what the future holds and they just are trying their best to just try to navigate this world. They don't even know where it's headed. We know. We've got the information. We need to share it. And all, what, they see is all, what they see is all there is. And I've got to get the most out of life because that's all there is. And they don't know that's not the truth. We know it's not the truth. We've got the information. And so we live it, model it, and then we share it. Because I'd love to be able to take a load off the world's mind with the amazing truth that God has given us. And that is exactly what God has us here for. May we know it, may we live it, may we share it, and may it make a difference. If there's anyone who needs to respond to this truth by being united with Christ in the waters of baptism upon your confession or whether you've done that and for whatever reason you got distracted, If we can help you in any way, make it known as we stand and as we sing.